the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to be back. Glad to have you with us. Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. James Blind is producing. Today we're going to talk with uh, Igor Krutkov. Uh, he's associate pastor at Word of Life Slavic Baptist Church. We're also going to talk with a uh, deacon from the church, Daniel uh, T.K. Butchiva, he uh, works with the youth ministry as well. We're going to talk about the um, Slavic community and their outreach to the broader community in trying to draw our attention and our hearts back to the Bible. We're also going to talk with Melissa Henson. She's a program director for Pel- uh, Parents Television Council. We'll talk about recent efforts uh, to cover the, the president's alleged vulgar comments and NBC choosing to actually use the words as... Um, The president allegedly spoke them. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, their appeal to NBC to modify the language for the sake of young people who may be watching. We'll talk with with, uh, Melissa Hinson more about that later in the five o'clock hour. Well, the president is in excellent physical and mental health, so says the White House physician. Uh, He says the president um, has absolutely no concerns about the uh, president's cognitive ability or his neurological function after conducting a medical examination of the president last week. All clinical data indicates the president is healthy and that he will remain so for the duration of his presidency. Dr. Ronnie Jackson is a rear admiral in the Navy, uh, and he was speaking during uh, during a uh, Briefing with reporters, the president underwent a physical exam on Friday at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. Now, this doctor has been the same physician who uh, oversaw uh, President Obama and President Bush. Speaking to reporters uh, today, Jackson listed a variety of tests that indicate the president's overall health is excellent. But he said he recommends the 71-year-old Trump, who stands 6'3 and weighs 239 pounds, do more dieting and exercise. He said the president doesn't have a daily exercise routine. Trump's blood pressure is 122 over 74 and his total cholesterol 223, which is higher than recommended. I think a reasonable goal over the next year or so is to lose 10 to 15 pounds, Jackson said, Dr. Jackson. We talked about diet and exercise a lot. He's more enthusiastic about the diet part than the exercise part, but we're going to do both. When a reporter asked how Trump... um, is healthy despite eating fast food and not exercising. The doctor replied he has incredibly good genes. Jackson, who said he sees Trump nearly every day, added he had no intention of doing a cognitive exam because he had no existing concerns about the president, but Trump himself, who has recently slammed uh, the media for raising questions about his mental fitness, asked him to do one. The president did exceedingly well on it, Jackson said. This was not driven at all by my concerns. It was driven by the president's wishes, and he did uh, well. 
well on it. Apparently, out of 30 questions, he got 30 right. Dr. Jackson said uh, Trump's heart exam was normal with the regular rhythm and no abnormal sounds. He said the president does uh, not drink or smoke, something that has uh, had a big impact on his health. Trump also has no heart disease, no family history of it. Uh, presidents uh, aren't required to get a checkup, but modern presidents do so regularly and release a doctor's report on the findings. Uh, Jackson was uh, named White House physician in 2006, working as then-President Obama's doctor. Previously, he was deployed in Iraq, where he practiced emergency medicine for the surgical shock trauma platoon. Uh, according to um, his online biography. In the past, uh, President Trump had medical exams conducted by his personal physician, Dr. Harold Bornstein, who memorably claimed in 2015, if elected, Mr. Trump, I can state unequivocally, will be the healthiest individual ever elected to be president. Well, I don't know if that's true or not, but he is at least healthy by today's standards. In other words, Trump's overall health is excellent, says his doctor. After the examination, he was... Confident that the president will complete the uh, term of, in the Oval Office with no serious medical issues. Uh, and again, in, uh, good genes attributed to his uh, ability to consume, at least on the campaign trail, allegedly, we don't actually know, uh, lots of McDonald's and soda pop, um, but doing quite well. The American Psychiatric Association, by the way, is pleading with its members and its uh, all psychiatrists to stop analyzing the president, saying it's unacceptable and unethical to engage in armchair psychiatry. Well, the APA, which is the largest psychiatric association in the world, released a statement this week decrying members of the profession who are violating the Goldwater rule, commenting on a figure's uh, a public figure's mental state from afar. We at the APA call for an end to psychiatrists providing professional opinions in the media about public Public figures whom they have not examined, whether it be on cable news appearances, books, or in social media, the organization said. Armchair psychiatry or the use of psychiatry as a political tool is the misuse of psychiatry and is unacceptable and unethical, end quote. Well, the organization said it's uh, impossible to diagnose someone from their tweets, adding that it undermines the credibility and integrity of the profession. A proper psychiatric evaluation requires more than a review of television appearances, tweets, and public comments. A psychiatrist are medical doctors evaluating mental illness is no less thorough than diagnosing diabetes or heart disease. Well, a shrink at Yale University hawking a book with 26 other psychiatrists who claim Trump's mental state presents a clear and present danger to our nation is leading the movement against Trump. Bandy Lee has been summoned by Democratic lawmakers to Capitol Hill for two days of briefings on the president's mental health. His main issue with the president are his tweets. We feel that the uh, rush of tweeting is an indication of his failing... uh, of his falling apart under stress, Lee said. Well, his book includes essays entitled Trump's Daddy Issues, A Toxic Mix for America, Trump Anxiety Disorder, Donald J. Trump, Alleged Incapacitated Person, Mental Incapacity, The Electoral College and the 25th Amendment, and Donald Trump is A, bad, B, mad, or C, all of the above. Well, the media has also joined in with hours of cable news coverage questioning his mental fitness. Trump's election did have a an effect on the mental state of liberals with a surge of new patients in Washington, D.C. following Hillary Clinton's loss. Psychotherapists said they saw an unprecedented number of patients expressing anger, frustration, anxiety, and sadness over Trump's win. Psychiatrists publicly diagnosing uh, Republican politicians was the basis for the Goldwater Rule created after the unprecedented attacks on Barry Goldwater's mental state during the 1964 presidential election. And virtually every Republican 
uh, presidential candidate or uh, uh, Republican president ever since. The APA points out that mental health professionals diagnose Goldwater from afar as basically a paranoid schizophrenic who resembles Mao Zedong, the communist dictator responsible for the deaths of 45 million people. Not wanting to exclude other relevant 20th century tyrants, another claimed, I believe Goldwater has the same pathological makeup as Hitler, Castro, Stalin, and other known schizophrenic leaders, the APA said. Well, now that Trump is facing similar attacks by members of its profession, none of whom have actually seen him, the APA has had to reassert its commitment to the Goldwater rule, saying the president is about to undergo his annual physical exam course, before it was actually done, today released. The APA has confidence that his physician will follow the standard of care in examining all systems, which includes an age-appropriate medical and mental health evaluation, the group said. If mental health concerns are raised, the standard of care would result in the examining physician seeking consultation from an experienced psychiatrist who would approach the consultation with objectivity and within the physician-patient confidential relationship. And apparently, uh, Dr. Jackson indicated there was a, a team of physicians and healthcare professionals that were involved in the president's medical evaluation. Fifteen minutes after four o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ. 21 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Liberty Coin and Currency. Kirsten Nielsen came to Capitol Hill today to talk about key issues like border security, terrorism. But the Department of Homeland Security secretary instead found herself repeatedly answering questions about the president's language during a recent meeting. Members of the Senate Judiciary Committee sought her uh, description of the president's language at the White House immigration meeting. She attended that meeting last week where he reportedly uh, referred to impoverished nations in a disparaging way. At least one member of that meeting has said so. Sir, respectively, Respectfully, rather, I have answered this question repeatedly, Nielsen finally told Connecticut Democratic Senator Richard Blumenthal, who was at least the third lawmaker to raise the issue. I have nothing further to say about it. She acknowledged several times um, that the meeting aimed at reaching a bipartisan immigration deal was very impassioned and said several of the lawmakers, including Trump, used tough language. However, she said she did not hear Trump use the racially tinged word or words attributed to him. Senator Dick Derman uh, emerged from that meeting, saying Trump had made the crude reference about Haiti and African nations in a way that uh, came off as racist. Republican Tom Cotton of Arkansas and David Perdue of Georgia claimed Trump had used a variant of the term and in a less offensive manner. Senator Lindsey Graham has refused to say exactly what he heard, though he said he confirmed uh, confronted Trump about it. Uh, Trump and Republicans want funding for a wall on the southern border and an end to chain migration and the uh, visa lottery. Democrats want amnesty for DACA recipients known as Dreamers. What I heard him say was that he'd like to move away from a lottery-based immigration system to a merit-based one, Nielsen said. To be sure, she confirmed uh, to the DHS Post just last month, or was confirmed, was hoping to um, tout a report released earlier in the day by the White House that found that federal courts have convicted at least 549 people on international terror-related charges since the 9-11 
terror attacks, but that was not the focus of that conversation. Uh, Even um, that finding, which the administration presumably wanted to announce to make a case about the dangers of illegal immigration, was picked apart. Vermont Democratic Senator Patrick Leahy questioned why Nielsen didn't know how many of those convicted came from countries on which Trump is imposing an immigration ban. Democratic senators also questioned Nielsen about Trump's apparent suggestion that the U.S. should allow in more people from Norway, remarks some have interpreted as racist, considering his uh, displeasure for allowing poor, unskilled immigrants from third world countries and Haiti or from African nations. He had uh, met with the Norwegian leader the day before. Nielsen said that she thought the president was repeating what the Norwegian prime minister had uh, told him, that Norwegians are working very hard or work very hard. Still, Nielsen said even the president raised concerns about allowing more people from Europe into the country to move America's diversity-based immigration program to a more skilled-based system, saying being from Norway is not a skill. Nielsen argued for the president's call to build a complete U.S.-Mexico border wall and knocked back criticism that a physical wall is obsolete. Uh, Walls work, she said. I don't know about anybody saying uh, uh, it's... um, Uh, So last century technology, which under the previous administration, uh, Democrats were in favor of. She also reinforced the administration's so-called four-column immigration reform policy amid bipartisan Capitol Hill White House negotiations on comprehensive immigration reform. And she cited border security, permanent permanent protection rather for young illegal immigrants, eliminating the diversity lottery, ending so-called chain migration in which extended family members can follow into the United States, those with green cards. Still, her hardest questions were about Trump's comments, which some think um, have set back such talks. The sharpest criticism came from New Jersey Democratic Senator Cory Booker, who said, I'm uh, seething with anger. You are under oath and you and others cannot remember. Well, it was uh, less productive than it might otherwise have been. Fired White House chief strategist and ex-Trump campaign manager Steve Bannon has been uh, subpoenaed by special counsel Robert Mueller. Uh, First reported by the New York Times, the Bannon subpoena was issued uh, by Mueller's team last week. Sources say that uh, Bannon's subpoena requiring him to appear before a grand jury investigating the Russian meddling in the 2016 presidential election was issued after the FBI was initially unable to contact him. Sources familiar with the matter say that despite the subpoenas to testify before the grand jury, there's a possibility that Bannon will instead be interviewed by Mueller's office. Even if he thought that was uh, not treasonous or unpatriotic, or um, bad words that he used following. And I happen to think that all um, that's all of it. Um, you should have uh, called the FBI immediately. That's a quote from Steve Bannon in the Fire and Fury book. A spokesman for Mueller's uh, office did not respond uh, to whether or not that was the primary issue. But certainly those comments that were uh, in the book Fire and Fury are um, at the top of the list of questions to be asked. Revelations of his subpoena came uh, as the one-time Breitbart News executive chairman testified before closed doors on Capitol Hill today. Bannon appeared before investigators at the House Intelligence Committee as part of its Russian probe. Uh, Bannon's subpoena and the interview with congressional investigators comes after the publication of the uh, book Fire and Fury inside the Trump White House, where Bannon made comments um, blasting President Trump's eldest son, Donald Trump Jr., uh, son-in-law Jared uh, Kushner and ex-campaign chairman pa- Paul Manafort. He since backtracked and suggested he wasn't talking about Donald Trump Jr., but Jared, uh, or rather, um, ex-campaign chairman Paul Manafort instead. He described their infamous June 2016 meeting in Trump Tower with Russian attorney 
uh, Natalia during the campaign, treasonous and unpatriotic. Well, he's going to have to either defend or renounce his own statements before Mueller's committee and before separate investigators under the um, in the House, rather. Even if you thought that was not treasonous or unpatriotic or bad, and I happen to think that it all was, so the FBI should have been called, he said. Also, he said Trump Jr. would be cracked like an egg on live TV and any possible uh, public testimony about the situation. Well, the president issued a multi-paragraph blistering takedown of Bannon, which from which he has yet to recover. Um, but uh, now having been subpoenaed, he will testify or at least will be called before the Mueller um, uh, probe, although he has since said, and it came out earlier today, that the White House is uh, making certain that he doesn't testify on certain things, uh, exercising some executive privilege. So it's not clear what that would cover. Um, but that's coming up as well. Well, as the probe into Russian influence in the 2016 presidential election continues, Paul Manafort, one of the few people who have been charged during the investigation, has filed a lawsuit against the Department of Justice and special counsel. His civil complaint filed in federal court argued that prosecutors had overstepped their bounds by charging him for conduct that he said was unrelated to any Russian interference in the 2016 election. He was a former campaign chairman. He turned himself into authorities last year, along with his former business associate. The charges against the pair were among the first to come in special counsel Robert Mueller's probe, although it's not uh, directly related to collusion or the campaign. Aside from Manafort and Gates, Mueller's ongoing investigation has also led to charges against Michael Flynn, Trump's former national security advisor, who was accused of lying to the FBI about his communication with a Russian ambassador, and George Papadopoulos, who served as a foreign policy advisor on Trump's presidential campaign. Papadopoulos uh, pled guilty in October of last year to making false statements to the FBI. Additionally, Mueller, 73, removed um, FBI agent Peter stroke uh, from the case over uh, potential anti-Trump text messages. Uh, Peter Carr, the spokesman for the special counsel, has confirmed the appointment came after a growing cry, mostly from Democrats, mounted for someone outside the Justice Department to handle the probe. Attorney General Jeff Sessions had already recused himself from the investigation. Mueller led the FBI through the September 11th terrorist attack, served under presidential administrations of both parties. For the current probe into the 2016 election, he has the authority to prosecute any crimes uncovered during the investigation. They don't have to be directly related to the campaign or Russian meddling. But if there are crimes uncovered, which was the case with Manafort and his associates, he has the authority uh, to pursue them. He was given wide authority to investigate whether Trump or his associates colluded with the Kremlin to win the White House. Uh, Mueller allegedly expanded the probe to include investigating Trump for obstruction of justice because he fired FBI Director James Comey earlier in May as well. Well, Trump says that uh, the claims that he obstructed justice were ridiculous and said Mueller's friendship with Comey was very bothersome. Well, the Trump administration heavily criticized the investigation as several of his attorneys on staff donated to Democratic campaigns, including uh, to Trump's 2016 rival Hillary Clinton. Uh, they clearly wanted the other person to win, he went on to say. Well, Mueller kicked off uh, in August of last year impaneling uh, a grand jury to investigate the influence. The grand jury gives uh, prosecutors the ability to subpoena documents, to gather on-the-record witness testimonies. Indictments can also be sought. Grand juries are common vehicles to gather evidence, though they do not suggest any criminal charges are near or will necessarily be sought. Well, speaking to reporters on the South Lawn of the White House in December of last year, the president dismissed the allegations of collusion with Russia and has held that this is... Um, 
all part of a fake news effort and a a desire to remove him from the office to which he was duly elected. The investigation will continue. Steve Bannon will testify or not, and hopefully we'll get to the bottom of it. But I'm not holding my breath. 31 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we're going to talk with a pastor and a deacon from Word of Life Slavic Baptist Church. We're going to talk about the Slavic community and the work that they are doing to draw our attention back to God's Word. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, 36 minutes after 4 o'clock. Glad to have you with us. Now, you might recall just before Christmas, the Bible truck was here in the Portland metro area, and it has since made its way down south. And I had a, the opportunity to interview briefly the associate pastor from Word of Life Slavic Baptist Church. And I was so encouraged by the conversation and the emphasis on God's word and having walked through the truck and seen the work that was done uh, to bring to life. Life, the value of, of uh, possessing God's word and, and how we should cherish it. I asked Pastor Igor um, Krukov to come and join me for interview. And you expressed at the time your concern that your English wasn't, uh, wasn't up to par. But I want to let you know, when you have something worthwhile to say, um, it's worth wading through a, a little bit of an accent. And I know a lot of people who are fluent in English who only have foolishness to say. So I'm, I'm grateful to have you here with us. Thank you so much. You, know, for you, are, you us. are so welcome. Also with us is um, Deacon Daniel T.K. Bucheva. Did That's I do all good. right? All That's right. Good. <laughs> he works with the um, the youth. Um, I should say Pastor Krukov is the second pastor of Word of Life Slavic Baptist Church. He's a leader of youth ministries at the Northwest Slavic Association. He grew up in a Christian family in Moldova, which was part of the Soviet Union. We'll talk a little more about his life later. And De- uh, Deacon Daniel Tike Bucheva, he leads teen ministry at Word of Life Slavic Baptist Church. He grew up in a Christian home, but it wasn't until about eighth grade you came to faith in Christ through a Billy Graham uh, crusade. So welcome to both of you. Thank, Thank you. you so We're happy to Thank be you. here. Thank you for inviting us. Well, I have to tell you, when I first heard about the Bible truck, um, you know, my, my thinking was, you know, there's a truck and there are a couple of Bibles in it, but it really was an impressive display. What motivated um, you, the, the church, to put something like this together, not only for this community, but for other parts of the country as well? Um, one of uh, the person who kind of uh, started this whole thing from the very beginning was a man by the name of Konstantin Andreevsky. He, uh, I guess the way he explained it, he kind of had just this uh, um, almost like a, a message from God that he wanted to share with people. And he gave him, he felt that it was God's kind of divine almost intervention and given him the idea for this Bible truck and really sharing the gospel with the United, in, here in the United States. And um, just because he felt like the Word of God has been kind of forgotten. Mm-hmm. And he felt that this would be a great opportunity. I mean, it's a very unique exhibit on wheels yes. that goes around the country, and it's uh, spreading the Word of God and showing people why it was so important for us. And I think there's some really interesting exhibits uh, within the truck itself that uh, really showed that people are willing to give up their own lives just to spread the gospel or to hold on to it themselves. And um, he felt that it was something worth sharing, and we were really excited that it came to Portland, and it's uh, heading uh, uh, down to south to California, Sacramento, right now. Mm-hmm. So we're very excited about that, too. Mm. Now, who is behind that? Is that the Northwest uh, Slavic Association? Who put this together? So it's uh, uh, we have here in America, we have like a three or four association, Baptist Association, Slavic Baptist Association. It's called Alliance or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's all together and we come together and we, uh, it's, it's not just one association, but all four. 
Yeah. Now, um, we mentioned earlier that you are from Moldova. You came when you were about 14 years old. What brought your family here? Well, uh, my wife relatives moved here first, and they, uh, you know, asked us to come to. Mm-hmm. So that's just united together with relatives here. Now, when you first came, did you expect that the United States would have more of a Christian character than you witnessed? Uh, yeah, sure. Were you disappointed? Um, well, it's a lot better than in Soviet Union anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and especially, you know, like what is most concer- concerning for me, I think it's, um, you know, people who have... Um, really, you know, like everything here and they not, uh, you know, like, um, like, I don't know how to say it's, uh, they not so thankful for Mm -hmm. what they have. Mm -hmm. They always complain. And what we had there, it's, it's even not, you know, like compare. Yeah, it's hard to compare the two. Uh, That's, you know, I've been to uh, places where the persecution of the church has been very strong. And one of the things I hear them say consistently is that our concern is that if um, that if or when things improve, that our attention, our focus is going to shift elsewhere. And I think that's what we've seen here in the United States. There's so much uh, available to us. We may have five or six Bibles sitting on our shelves, whether or not Mm -hmm. any of them are read. Uh, we don't link that with gratitude that God has given us the opportunity not only to read his word for ourselves, but also the the privilege of sharing his word elsewhere as well. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, with this Bible truck going around the country, I think for one of the things that has been a big eye for people who has been a really big eye opener is really for like being in the teen ministry. It's like for teens themselves. I mean, for them, they they heard these stories. They've They've heard it from their grandparents, from their parents. But like being in the Bible truck and seeing these things that they've been hearing about all their lives and seeing how much their grandparents and their parents were willing to give up for the Word of God, just help them realize and and understand the value of it and maybe become a little bit more interested in reading it themselves and find out why it's so important to them. Yeah, the exhibit features artifacts from uh, various times and various places, people attempting, for example, to smuggle the Bible into their community, into their country, perhaps, in very, very creative ways, knowing that if they were caught... They could lose their lives, and I imagine many of them did, uh, making that effort. And yet, um, those of us who have free access um, maybe don't really appreciate the value, the treasure that we have in God's Word. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Mm. Well, um, uh, you came to the United States. You came to faith in Christ um, at, in the eighth grade. Maybe you didn't come. Are you first generation? Or I actually moved to the States when I was six years old. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of one of these people who are kind of torn between sides. And Igor can testify to that, that I think that's why I fit in into our teen ministry so well mm-hmm. is because coming from, uh, the, coming from Russia to the United States when I was six years old, I'm able to kind of at least, I think maybe in, in some ways connect with the teens a little bit better, especially because we have, most of our teens have been, were born here yes. in the States. And so kind of understanding where they come from and, that language barrier can be a barrier sometimes uh, for them. And so being able to just speak to them on their level, I think, and in a language that they understand. And uh, it's that that's kind of one of the reasons why I do what I do. And even at our church, uh, I'm, we have a message once a month, at least once a month or more, yeah. where um, I preach in English at church. And so sometimes you'll see you'll hear you'll see a, a few more ears perk up when I start speaking English because they see that, you know, or they hear they're they're hearing certain things that they haven't heard before, at least you know maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, so are most of the young people? Do they do they retain their Russian language as well as English? Yeah, we try, and most of our families we try to 
retain the Russian. Uh, well, but yeah, the English, anyway, it's the first language for them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are the young people in the, the Slavic churches, are they open to the gospel? Yeah. Or, is it, or you see the same challenges that you see everywhere else? We definitely see a lot of the same challenges. I mean, it, it goes back to that same thing, which you were talking about a little bit earlier. And if you have somebody who has, when things are going great, you kind of forget all, all some of the other things. And mm-hmm. that being maybe possibly the gospel or going to church or whatever it may be. So we have the similar struggles as well, but um, it's something that we continue to pray for and ask God for, for guidance on. And it's, um, we see his hand in our lives and in the ministry, and it's and it's great. How large is the Slavic community in the Portland metro area? Um, I think I last thing I, I think as I heard it's like around hundred fifty, hundred eighty thousand. Hundred eighty thousand. Yeah. And are you connected with other non-Slavic churches in the area as well? Um, we have, you know, like our connection with Northwest Baptist Con- uh, Association here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. We, there are well, it's not, it's not really uh, close, that, but yeah. We, that's one of the things that I think we really want to do is we want to have maybe some stronger connections with a couple of American churches. Because the thing is, like, you know, we go to school, we go to, we, we work in this area. So being able to have some of those stronger connections with folks, so that way we can send people to a particular church where we have a stronger relationship yeah. with. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break, but we will continue our conversation. Again, we're talking with uh, Igor Krukov, he's associate pastor at Word of Life Slavic Baptist Church, and Deacon Daniel T.K. Butchova, he uh, works with the youth in uh, the Word of Life Slavic Baptist Church as well. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we are back 51 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Talking this afternoon with Associate Pastor Igor. I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> Don't mess anything up. And uh, Deacon uh, Daniel. Tikebuchava. That's right. Ah, Thank close you. enough. <laughs> uh, they are with the Word of Life Slavic Baptist uh, Church. We were talking during the break, um, Pastor, about uh, your coming to Christ at about age 14. You uh, went to Bible college in your home country of Moldova. Tell us a little bit about life there before coming to the United States. Well, life was uh, a lot difficult. I grew up in a very poor family. It's a, like a farm, farm place. So, and I, yeah. Um, I uh, come to Christ in age of 14, and after my college and uh, army, I back to Moldova, and uh, yeah, that was, in Odessa, it was first Bible college for Soviet Union. That's the first time opening mm. after when it's, you know, doors is open and, you know, like everything. So, and I, uh, it was big blessing for me. I able to attend the Bible Bible college there. Yeah. At that time, did you imagine that you would end up in the United States? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, not at all. No. Now, for you personally, why do you think God brought you here? Obviously, you're in the ministry. Why do you think God brought you to this place? It's hard to, I, I don't know, honestly, but because, you know, like when we, uh, you know, like my wife and her family tried to move here, so I told them, nope, I'm not going to go because I have enough, uh, you know, like service here and i very busy in uh, my church, so, and I, I did not plan to come and I was not a pastor that mm-hmm. time there, so, but when we came here, it, first time it was really, you know, like, uh, I don't know, I was... So, like, uh, disappointing because, you know, like, uh, uh, here, you know, like, I lose my, you know, like, uh, what i done mm-hmm. there in the yes. church and everything. So, but um, right now, um, you know, like, uh, I work in a lot in a youth ministry and for 13 years I was a youth pastor in our church. So, 
it's a big blessing for me. It's a huge, you know, like opportunity to serve people here. So, and I think, uh, I don't know if I can say this is why God bring me here or not, but God give me a I could say he did because I was part of that youth that he was leading. And I got to say that (laughs) he's led a lot of people to Christ. And I believe that's why God brought him here. Mm -hmm. There was... There was work to be done, and I'm, 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 you know, grateful to God that He was able to bring him here. And yeah, I really thankful God uh, He used me here. So. Yes, yes. So that's, I had that's the opportunity at the Bible truck to meet your wife and some of your daughters, and I was so impressed by these young women who love the Lord. In fact, uh, one or two, I think two of them, took me through the exhibit and did the presentation. I was very impressed by how articulate they were. They, they understood the history of the Bible and they, you could tell they had a real passion for God's word. And I, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that these young women are having an influence on young people in this country who perhaps don't have that history and that connection elsewhere. Now, how about you? What uh, do you think God is calling you to do in our community? Uh, you know, I moved here to the States when I was six years old. I come from a family of 13, um, 11 siblings with me included. And, um, to be honest with you, kind of like Egad, I, I went to church and that's kind of all I did. But I feel like God has been kind of slow to me, slowly guiding me, whether by choice or not, into <laughs> the ministry and, 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 and working with the teens. And really it's kind of like, you know, I was, I was going down this line and um, one person left, another person left, and I just kind of got pushed into it. But I have seen God's hand throughout mm-hmm. all of it. And I feel like God really wants me to be here because we're having this kind of almost like a big change, at least in, in the in the Russian churches. And what I mean by that is we used to have a lot of immigrants coming here to the United States. And so the Russian language itself was stronger, at least in families in general, because as people are coming in, you're, you're kind of having to keep up and continue speaking in Russian, whatever it may be, so that we were all kind of united. But that immigration has slowed down significantly. And so you're, we started kind of seeing that people are starting to not necessarily forget the Russian language, but um, it wasn't as strong as they used to be. And so God kind of bringing me in at that time mm-hmm. that we are in right now and being kind of almost like not the middleman, but really just kind of trying to help these teenagers um, um, and, and lead them, lead them to Christ. And I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be at this point in time. Yeah. And I see his hand and uh, I want to continue serving him to my best ability through, you know, through God's help, of course. Yeah, helping that transition as yes. the, the culture changes because you assimilate some of the cultural practices of the nation that you're in while mm-hmm. retaining some of the cultural practices of the nation that you came from. And that's yeah. always a challenge from one generation to another as uh, young people are more Americanized. What are some of the uh, greater challenges that the Slavic Church faces here, and how can we pray for you all as part of the body of Christ? I think uh, the the family issues, you know, like and kids, when they grow up, they um, losing the connection between the generations, mm-hmm. and it, that's I think it, that's the most uh, effect uh, for the families and you know like kids, you know like more uh, speaking English and uh, you know like and um, you know like move taking more and more uh, whatever is around there. Yeah, American so, secular yeah, culture. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it, that's I think that's the our most. Yeah, I think that's the heart cry of every. Uh, parent, every church leader, that young people would retain their heart and love for God's word and that they would follow them. But it's it's increasingly challenging in a culture that is uh, becoming more and more secular. 
Uh, but I want to commend um, both of you for serving in the body of Christ because we desperately need leaders who are willing to speak into the lives of young people and make a difference, not only in Slavic culture, but the influence that resonates out into the broader culture. And I, I just wanted to say thank you for the Bible truck. I think that was a significant contribution in our community that so desperately needs to return to God's word or to go to God's word for the first time. And I want to encourage you to continue in the ministry that God has called you to and to be faithful because you're, you're desperately needed um, here in the Portland metro area. And I, I appreciate the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Well, um, again, I, I want to encourage um, our listeners to remember the uh, the Slavic churches in our community. We may not connect as closely as um, as we might, but hopefully that will improve over time as well. And anything particular we might pray for you uh, in addition to praying for young people uh, in your churches? Um, I, I think just really helping uh, the younger generations understand that, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that the world has to offer, but helping them really truly understand that the most important thing that we can take for ourselves is Christ and is accepting Christ yeah. as Savior. For me, I think that's one of the biggest things that I see because you're distracted by so many different things. And like we were talking about earlier that um, you have so many things that you can go to, but helping them understand that the true value that is found in, found in Christ and through his grace and through his love and just really being able to show them that and helping us because we are only one person, but through the power of Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we, we can do it. But. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you both so thank much so for much. joining us today. Again, uh, Igor Krukov, he's the associate pastor at Word of Life Slavic Baptist Church, and Deacon Daniel Tikabuchiva is the um, uh, youth pastor. Is that the right way to... I'm, 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 I lead the teen ministry. Okay, you lead the teen ministry <laughs> yes. at Word of Life uh, Slavic Baptist Church. And just a reminder that the Northwest Slavic Association is involved in the Bible truck making its way from Oregon into California and other parts of the country. It's a great presentation. I hope you had the opportunity to see it while it was here in December. But it's doing a great work of not only reminding those of us who are followers of Christ of the tremendous treasure we have in God's Word, but calling others to consider God's Word uh, perhaps for the first time. So it's a great a great outreach and a great ministry. So thank you both. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you. We're going to take a break here in just a moment. Uh, in the five o'clock hour, we're going to talk with Melissa Henson. She's a program director with the Parents Television Council. Uh, the organization is uh, imploring uh, NBC to raise its standards with regard to the kind of language that they use uh, on the, uh, the nightly news. We'll be back. News and traffic up next. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Melissa Hinson will join us later this hour. She's the program director for Parents Television Council. Some of the media struggled with how to cover the uh, news of the president's vulgar language or alleged vulgar language in a meeting last week. Uh, NBC decided they were going to go for it, and the Parents Television Council had something to say about it. We'll talk with Melissa Henson about what they are recommending for NBC and other news outlets who might decide that uh, vulgar language is um, now acceptable, even though the FCC says in certain news contexts that may in fact be uh, acceptable or at least permitted. Uh, before we get into um, that and more, I wanted to remind you that this coming summer, you can join Alistair Begg and fellow like-minded believers for the Reformation Tour and River Cruise. You'll have the opportunity to visit some fascinating historical sites that played an integral role in the Reformation. 
European villages, uh, stately castles and churches, iconic cities like Leipzig, Vienna, Prague. Your time in Europe will only deepen your love of the Bible and the church, so you can book your trip today. Learn more. Join Teaching Pastor Alistair Begg for the Reformation Tour and River Cruise. That's July 31st through August the 12th. For details, you can visit kpdq.com. You can also call 855-565-5519. And if you're looking for something a little different, you can experience the legendary land of Israel with teaching pastor Tony Evans and his wife Lois uh, this November for Experience Israel 2018. Now, you can imagine standing at the Sea of Galilee, exploring the remains of Nazareth, visiting Jerusalem. I've had the opportunity to do them all, and I tell you, it's there's nothing like it. Every stone pathway leads you toward the life of Christ and the story of God's purpose on earth. Gifted musical guests, Anthony Evans, and yes, he's the son of Pastor Tony and Lo- uh, Lois Evans. Meredith Andrews will also be presenting music. Your time in Israel is sure to be rich with spiritual meaning and impact. For details, once again, the place to go, KPDQ. But there's a different phone number, 855-448-7226, 855-448-7226. So you can experience Israel or you can take the Reformation tour that includes uh, a time on a um, riverboat. So that sounds pretty fascinating as well. Well, Senate Democrats today say they were just one Republican vote away from the 51-member majority needed to overrule the Federal Communications Commission's decision to reverse net neutrality regulations, which is a name that doesn't really fit what it does. But nonetheless, the FCC uh, coded three to two last month to repeal Obama's um, net neutrality rules that had imposed utility-style regulations on Internet service providers. Uh, It's time for the Internet once again to be driven by engineers and entrepreneurs and consumers rather than lawyers. Lawyers, accountants, and bureaucrats. That's what the FCC chairman, Ajit Pai, said in remarks before that vote. Lawmakers have 60 legislative days to reverse the December 14th ruling and have so far solidified 50 votes on that issue, according to the Washington Post. In addition, Senator Susan Collins promised that she would back the effort to overturn the FCC's rule. All 49 Democrats have backed repeal. Senator Ed Markey, a Democrat from Massachusetts, said in a statement, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer confirmed having full caucus support. It's clear that Democrats are uh, committed to fighting to keep the Internet from becoming the Wild West, where ISPs are free to offer premium service to only the wealthiest customers, which, again, is a mischaracterization. But nonetheless, I'm quoting, while average consumers are left with far inferior options. Anyway, Democrats will need one more Republican vote for passage in the Senate. But even if they achieve that goal, the reversal will need the approval of the Republican-controlled House and the president who backed the December ruling by the FCC. So we'll see how that goes. But it looks like uh, Democrats have momentum uh, to move, I was going to say forward, but I guess it would be closer to back. Well, more than three months later, countless questions remain as to the motive of the Las Vegas shooter. Now, remember, it was just weeks ago that was headline news. Everyone was talking and thinking about it. Now it's been replaced by other things. But it wasn't that long ago that the shooting in Las Vegas took so many fellow Americans. To get more answers, petitioners from several media organizations tried today to have the state district court judge, Alyssa Kaddish, decide to unseal Las Vegas Metropolitan Police search warrants. The attorney for the police, Nicholas Crosby, when um, uh, arguing uh, on the merits of the case, noted that potential charges against other people could be in the works. 
could be, which means it could go either way. These new developments underscored his uh, justification that the matter is still an ongoing investigation. Well, Crosby said that no new uh, charges are imminent, but he highlighted that charges of individuals could come in the future and therefore the documents should remain sealed. Well, Kaddish uh, decided not to release the files, at least not right away, giving Las Vegas police one week to further explain the need for ongoing secrecy in that matter. Kaddish said she would uh, read what's requested to be unsealed. So it still could happen. Um, There's been a revelation that uh, came as a surprise to most in the courtroom. It was the newest information in regards to the investigation that the public seems to have garnered unwittingly by um, uh, Mr. Crosby when explaining to uh, explaining rather the warrants um, and why they remained sealed. Crosby didn't say who would face charges, but did indicate that's a possibility. Paradoxically, he posted that he cannot argue the facts of the case without compromising what the police are trying to protect. He suggested having an in-camera hearing meaning one in private. Uh, Maggie um, McCletchy, who's the attorney for the Las Vegas Review-Journal, argued on First Amendment grounds that the public has a right to know what the search warrants contain. She argued that police could say their investigation is ongoing forever to delay access, since the case is not a criminal matter, acknowledging that the suspect uh, is deceased. McCletchy argued for transparency. Just because Mr. Paddock shot himself doesn't mean the public doesn't have a right to know what's in the documents. So we'll find out uh, over the next several days what the judge decides to do. Stephen Paddock opened fire from the uh, Mandalay Bay Hotel Room, killed 58 people. Uh, They were uh, below attending a country music festival on the 1st of October. Officials said uh, still have not determined a motive for the worst mass shooting in modern American history. But again, efforts to unseal that information. The Navy said uh, today that it's filing negligent homicide charges against the uh, commanders of two ships involved in deadly crashes last year. The decision to file charges against service members of the USS Fitzgerald and the USS John S. McCain were decided by Admiral Frank Caldwell, who was given the authority and examined the evidence of what caused the collisions, according to Navy spokesman Captain Greg Hicks. Commander Bryce Benson served on the USS Fitzgerald, while Commander Al Alfredo Sanchez served in the USS John S. McCain. The charges are to be presented at what the military refers to as an Article 32 hearing, which will determine whether the accused are court-martialed. The USS Fitzgerald collided with a commercial ship in waters off Japan in June, killing seven sailors. Ten sailors were killed when the USS John S. McCain collided with an oil tanker in Southeast Asia in August. Tragic, tragic situation. President Trump's national security advisor, H.R. McMaster, secretly traveled to San Francisco over the weekend for a meeting on North Korea's nuclear weapons program. According to sources, McMaster met with officials from South Korea and Japan, including uh, the director of the Japanese National Security Council. During the meeting, the group discussed the newly resumed communication between North Korea and South Korea. They also agreed that these renewed communications and the agreement for North Korea to send athletes to the upcoming Winter Games in um, Pyeongchang, South Korea, next month are diversions and have no effect on North Korean leader Kim Jong-un's nuclear weapons program. All sides agreed on the need to increase pressure on North Korea to give up the nuclear program. Last month, during a speaking appearance in California, McMaster said the possibility of war with North Korea increases every day. The problem over its nuclear program isn't solved. I think it's increasing, he went on to say again. uh, It means we're in a race. We're in a race to be able to solve this problem. 
McMaster added, there are ways to address this problem short of armed conflict, but it is a race because he's getting closer and closer and there's not much time left, end quote. McMaster uh, said that the North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un's nuclear ambitions are the gravest national security threat that America faces. The greatest immediate threat to the United States and to the world is the threat posed by the rogue regime in North Korea and his continued efforts to develop a long-range nuclear missile. He added, so it is immensely important that we work together with all of our allies, partners, everyone internationally to convince Kim Jong-un that the continued pursuit of these capabilities is a dead end for him and his regime. John Roberts currently serves as the chief White House correspondent, uh, making the report of that meeting. Meanwhile, in Hawaii, it was a bit of a, a closer concern than for most of us imagining what could happen. Hawaii's emergency officials confirmed that an alert about an inbound ballistic missile was a mistake. They said an employee pushed the wrong button. The employee feels awful about the panic-induced incident, but that's just what happens. Um, Vern Magi, who oversees the Hawaii Emergency Management Agency, or EMA, uh, said at a news conference uh, late Saturday that the civil defense employee who pushed the wrong button regrets what took place. But it raises even more critical questions about uh, whether or not the United States is prepared for the real thing or if mistakes are likely to happen in the future. 16 minutes after five, we'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 21 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next segment, we're going to talk with Melissa Henson. She's the program director for the Pre- Parents Television Council. We'll talk about NBC's choice of um, explicit words that uh, they're urging the uh, network to avoid using in the future. All the other networks and cable news programs. Uh, chose to paraphrase. We'll talk with her about that coming up. Well, the Department of Homeland Security has asked federal prosecutors to examine the possibility of bringing criminal charges against leaders of the so-called sanctuary cities. That's according to Secretary Christian Nielsen uh, speaking to lawmakers today. The Department of Justice is reviewing what avenues may be available, she told the Senate Judiciary Committee. She added that sanctuary policies were putting her immigration and customs enforcement officers at risk. Well, the Trump administration has vowed to withhold federal money from localities that refuse to give federal immigration authorities access to jails and provide advance notice when someone in the country illegally is about to be released. Earlier this month, the acting director um, of uh, ICE uh, said that politicians should be held personally accountable for crimes committed by illegal immigrants. Uh, we've got uh, we've got to start charging some of these politicians with crimes, Tom Homan said back on the 2nd of January at that appearance. California recently passed a statewide sanctuary policy that took effect on the 1st of this month and cities such as San Francisco, Chicago and Philadelphia have adopted them. A federal judge has blocked the Justice Department's effort to halt funding Uh, to those locations, and the battle continues. Meanwhile, plans for the Obama Presidential Center in Chicago, the uh, Presidential Library, are coming under fire amid concerns about the cost and doubts about the benefits for the local area with a group of professors from the school where uh, former President Barack Obama once taught slamming one proposal as socially regressive. So these are 
like-minded supporters of the president. The former president said in a video statement released last week that he had been pretty hands-on with the project and had high hopes for what it could do for the local area. Michelle and I want this center to be more than just a building, the president said. We want to create an economic engine for the south side of Chicago, a cultural attraction that showcases the south side to the rest of the world. With the Obama Foundation, which unveiled updated plans last Wednesday, says that the center is estimated to support nearly 5,000 new jobs during construction, 2,500 permanent jobs once it's open. It also claims um, in its first 10 years, the center is expected to have a total economic impact of $3.1 billion, which is significant if true. But in an open letter published on Monday, more than 100 University of Chicago professors and faculty members said they share the concerns of a wide range of neighborhood and activist groups that the Obama Center is currently planned will not provide the promised development or economic benefits to the neighborhoods on the south side of Chicago. They complain that since the center will be located near an existing museum in the University of Chicago, there'll be no land to start new business or restaurants nearby. We're concerned that rather than becoming a bold vision for urban living in the future, it will soon become an object lesson in the mistakes of the past, the letter said. The letter also slams a proposed 450-car parking lot as socially regressive, claiming that it uh, privileges cars and those who can afford them. Hmm. Uh, parking is expensive, and though public lands are being given away, all the profits from the parking lot will go to the Obama Foundation, the letters say. None of the funds will go back to the city to improve train lines and public transportation infrastructure. Overall, this is a socially regressive plan. So uh, people who want to drive to visit the location apparently are being discouraged because they are privileged and shouldn't have a place to park. Um Finally, the letter complains that Chicago taxpayers will be forced to foot the bill of hundreds of millions of dollars and that the widening of the Lakeshore Drive Expressway alone could cost $100 million. Uh, we are concerned that these are not the best ways to use public funds to invest in the future of Chicago, the letter says, before urging the foundation to explore alternative sites that would come with greater economic benefits and fewer costs and would respect nearby parks. Developers are already scrambling to satisfy community concerns. The foundation announced that the parkway parking facility would now be located underground within the Jackson Park site. Uh, in a statement, the Obama Foundation said the planners appreciated the feedback from residents and community members and looked forward to earning their support. The Obama Presidential Center will bring upwards of 760,000 people to the South Side every year and strengthen the economic climate in the region. It will be a place of life and vibrancy where Chicago. Uh, Chicagoans and visitors alike can gather, exchange ideas, learn and have more fun, a spokesperson uh, said in a statement. While we don't expect everyone to agree with every element of the plan, we look forward to working with people across the community and the city to make the most of the opportunity. Well, the... um, Obama Library is apparently not going to house any documents. Historians are rather puzzled by the the center's plans. The uh, foundation is taking an unconventional approach to the presidential center and library being planned there. It's opting to host a digital archive of the president's records, but not keep its hard copies, manuscripts, letters, and other documents 
on site, which I suppose is a 21st century transition. That means no thumbing through the ex-president's correspondence on the health care fight or first drafts of his State of the Union address. The decision has historians scratching their heads. All archivists are uh, waiting to see how, how this will work because we are all struggling with how to make things available digitally, says um, the manuscripts librarian uh, in the area. The Tribune uh, in Chicago uh, reported that the Obama physical records are currently in a private facility in Illinois. They will likely be shipped to locations in and around Washington, D.C. One upside um, to organizers uh, to keeping documents out of the presidential center, according to the uh, report, is that officials could skirt certain federal standards for construction. So if the documents aren't physically there, you can do more creative things. But the foundation is casting its approach as uh, simply keeping pace with the times. The foundation's goal is to create uh, with NARA, a new model for the next generation of presidential centers that reflect the way people access information on this digital age. Presidential libraries typically attract historians and students from across the nation who are eager to sit through records, speeches, documents, and letters. But without the um, artifacts physically at the center, some experts have questioned the process. I think in this case, it's such a massive amount of material that it will be important to see uh, how they're able to deliver it and make it easy to search. But again, 21st century technology. It will be at least four years until the Obama Presidential Center opens. Uh, NARA said that the Tribune uh, said uh, rather told the Tribune that the classified documents from Obama's presidency will be stored in an existing facility in D.C., while the non-classified documents probably will be stored at a facility outside the district. The foundation reported in July that total fundraising for the center amounted to some eight million dollars toward the projected 500 million cost of the library museum. The project is scheduled to be completed in 2021. Planners uh, for months have made uh, clear that Obama's post-presidency project will be different from other presidential centers. Back in May, they described it uh, more like a campus with plans to position it uh, as a premier institution for training young people in leadership. Dean William Clinton School of Public Service, James Skip Rutherford, uh, who oversaw the development of the Clinton Presidential Library in Arkansas, told the Tribune the uh, setup can still be valuable to researchers. Uh, but one presidential historian, Gil Troy, disagrees. When you view the collection, you meet the people around the president, not just the president. That comes from being there, not just logging on. Uh, he said. So whether or not there'll be modifications to uh, that and the documents will ultimately be made present, not altogether clear, but 2021, that library, as uh, is the uh, privilege of every former president, will be completed uh, at that time. Up next, we're going to talk with Melissa Hinson. She's the program director for the Parents Television Council. And uh, NBC, unlike all of the other networks and cable news uh, stations apparently covered the president's alleged vulgar language quite explicitly, and that offended uh, some viewers. And the Parents Television Council is asking NBC to reconsider its use of vulgar language in its news broadcasts, suggesting that uh, young people assume that if it's heard even in the context of rejecting the language, that it somehow gives them uh, the green light that this is uh, acceptable under certain circumstances. Also, Saturday Night Live apparently has, for the first time, 
intentionally allowed a vulgar word to be used uh, without uh, bleeping it out. And those two things taken together, both NBC programs, raised the uh, the hackles of the Parents Television Council. We'll tell you more about um, what that meant for them. Also, later in the program, we'll talk about uh, Facebook taking down a Christian group's page and a lawsuit against the University of Iowa over religious freedom that is currently pending as well. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Zero Res. Well, parents are blasting the news media for repeating on air and unedited vulgar remarks allegedly made by the president. Tim Winter, who's president of the Parents Television Council, called on NBC and other broadcast networks to reconsider their use of such words. Uh, and um, uh, profanity in general on television, uh, with NBC airing two separate instances of unedited profanity over the last weekend. Uh, the time is right. Here to talk with us about that is Melissa Henson. She's program director for the Parents Television Council. Thank you so much for talking with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Well, it seems to me that journalists and uh, others in print media were... Uh, having a, a bit of a struggle in how to address this issue of what the president alleged, uh, allegedly said in from the Oval Office. Um, uh, tell us how NBC in particular chose to handle it. Yeah, well, uh, NBC chose to air the, the, the entire word in its unedited form, um, and it was unique among the broadcast networks in doing that. Um, its competitor news stations did edit out the word. And so because they were able to report the story without having to resort to using that language, certainly NBC should have been able to do do the same. Now, this wasn't the only incident in which vulgar language was used um, on an NBC program. Another case was Saturday Night Live. The F word, I apologize for even making reference to it, uh, Mm -hmm. was actually said and not bleeped out uh, during a broadcast as well. That's right. Um, and I think this is a fairly um, unique situation because there there have been times in the past, I believe, where even during late night shows, um, they've made an effort to bleep out or, or edit out unexpected expletives that might occur. So um, I don't know if this is a new policy that NBC has instituted um, because there is a, um, a, um, a, a an exemption from the FCC for what they call the safe harbor, which means that um, during the hours of 6 a.m. and 10 p.m. when children are expected to be in the viewing audience, networks can be fined for allowing language like that to air unedited. Um, but but within the safe, how, uh, safe harbor between, between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m., um, there is no fine. But despite that, most networks have made an effort to edit out that foul language even during that safe harbor period. The fact that NBC didn't on this occasion, I think... Um, signals a worrying, um, perhaps a new trend or a new uh, attitude on, on NBC's part toward this kind of language. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the Parents Television Council is calling on the network to uh, reconsider its policy about airing this kind of explicit language. Has there been a response from NBC thus far? No, and, and I don't think we would expect to see one. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see if they allow this to continue to happen or if, if they make an apparent effort to uh, curb the language and future broadcasts of Saturday Night Live and, and other um, 
programs that are exempted by uh, FCC and decency laws. Now, do we know if this was inadvertent, if this was a, a deliberate lifting of the of the shroud, if you will? Uh, do we have any idea? Uh, you mentioned earlier it wasn't clear if they've uh, changed their policy or if they thought this was an extraordinary case in the in the case of the NBC News. Do we have any insight into why these uh, this kinds of vulgarity was permitted this time around? Well, in the case of, of news, um, my understanding is that there is um, uh, what they call a news indecency exemption. It's a carve-out from the indecency law. So even though these newscasts may air outside of the safe harbor and therefore be subject to indecency um, litigation or indecency fines, um, this and this is a precedent that was established some time back because of, uh, I think it was a, a contestant from Big Brother or Survivor uh, was on a news show and, and dropped a, an expletive, and the FCC determined that during news news programs, um, they, they might not be subject to indecency fines. So I think they were perhaps taking advantage of that um, news exemption. Um, but the, the expletive during SNL, I think, is even more troubling in that, um, you know, this is uh, entertainment programming. It, it's it's not recorded live. Uh, you know, they've, they've got it on time delay. Mm-hmm. They have every opportunity to dump the F word, um, even if it happened unintentionally, even if it was unscripted. They have an opportunity to edit it out, and they chose not to. Uh, Tim Winter, who's the president of the Parents Television Council, um, points out that repeating foul language on television legitimizes the practice to young viewers. And the truth is there are young viewers who, um, with their faces in front of screens uh, virtually all uh, all 24 hours these days. Um, how can we who are concerned about this kind of um, infraction, if you will, how can we influence what happens uh, on broadcasts like the news where you, the, certainly the expectation isn't that you're going to hear vulgar language? And uh, what's the best route to take? Advertisers, the network, what can the average rank and file adult do? Yeah, well, I think um, going to the advertisers is certainly a viable option. Um, and we've seen in the past um, advertisers pulling off of news programs and news channels because of um, inappropriate behavior from hosts or because of controversial statements made on news programs. So it's not as if news shows are untouchable by advertisers. Certainly, we can make our displeasure known with the sponsors. And uh, hopefully, um, when NBC starts to feel some financial pressure from advertisers, and um, they'll make wiser policy decisions going forward. What are your thoughts regarding uh, print media. The Washington Post broke this story last Friday. They put an unedited remark in the headline of their story. Several other print and digital media outlets uh, did the same. Does the Parents Television Network express uh, concern with print media, or what are your thoughts about their choice uh, to put the expletive on their front page? Yeah, well, uh, we've generally um, refrained from commenting on anything that's happening in and, and newsprint media in particular, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk from time to time about magazines, for example, that are targeted to teens or tweens or, or what have you. But with newspapers, I think there's generally an understanding that it's primarily adults reading. Um, so we, we haven't haven't generally ventured at, uh, uh, to say anything about what, what happens in the print, print news. I, I noted, too, in a Washington Times article that the foreign press also had some difficulty with trying to make reference to the words without actually actually using the words and had to come up with some creative ways 
uh, to uh, express what the president allegedly said without actually using the language, which would have been offensive to their viewers or readers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and yet mo- most of them were able to do that. And, and even here in the U.S., most news outlets were able to communicate um, to their audiences uh, what was said or, or why people were offended by what was said. They were able to do that successfully without having to reiterate the exact words. Um, so it, it can be done. And because NBC's competitors in the news industry and in the broadcast industry were able to do that, I think it certainly demonstrates that that NBC should have done that as well. Well, I appreciate that the Parents Television Network communicated with NBC. Whether or not you get a response from them, they have heard from you and you represent a large number of of viewers and consumer of both entertainment and uh, news media. And I hope that will have some impact not only on the networks, but also on advertisers who are always uh, looking and listening for opportunities to to uh, influence the uh, buying choices of, of um, consumers uh, who may not want to be influenced by uh, news outlets that that choose uh, not to uh, discipline themselves when trying to cover a, an offensive uh, phrase or story. Right, right. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, uh, Melissa. I appreciate the work that you're doing and that uh, Parents Television Council is uh, is on it. Thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Again, Melissa Henson is the program director for the Parents Television Council, referring to uh, something of a challenge for news outlets that all but one uh, apparently uh, met without having to cross what many have thought was a an acceptable line or unacceptable line of what kind of language should be uh, repeated NBC on uh, at least two occasions. And the news program uh, cha- chose to air the uncensored expletive. And then uh, she also made mention that on Saturday Night Live, which is an entertainment program, it's late night, uh, they too dropped one of the more offensive words, uh, uncensored. It's Saturday Night Live, but of course it doesn't run in real time, at least not here. And it, it certainly could have been bleeped, as has been the case uh, previously, sort of watching the trend in communication. Uh, with the network. Up next, we're going to talk about Facebook. They've taken down another Christian group's page and a, a lawsuit that's pending from the, against, rather, the University of Iowa. will tell you more about that. And did you know a Hawkins has passed away? Now, that may not mean a lot to some of you, but to others of us, particularly musicians, uh, we want to let you know about um, uh, the passing of, well, a great Christian musician. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, Facebook is facing more censorship and bias allegations from a group that opposes abortion. The West Virginia-based ministry Warriors for Christ repeated, uh, repeatedly rather, has had its Facebook pages removed from the social media giant, according to the Christian Post. Well, its main page, which has more than 225,000 followers, was removed again last week, allegedly for hateful, threatening, or obscene content. Now, how are they defining hateful, threatening, or obscene content? Ministry leader Pastor Rich Pinkowski told the Post that they uh, missed out on vital opportunities to help people as a result. When Facebook pulled our page for the first time, we were actually counseling with a young woman who was suicidal, he says. The biggest issue seems to be the ministry's stance on homosexuality. Uh, however, they also stand strong for unborn babies' rights and sexual purity, he says. Well, he, we talk about abortion, we talk about adultery, 
adultery. We talk about fornication. Nobody uh, even uh, uh, ever talks about that stuff, he said. Well, Facebook removed the ministry's page on the 29th of December, but they went went back and reinstated it on the 2nd of January as a result of an online petition, according to the report. Well, on Friday last, however, the ministry said its page was down again. Well, this is the message that uh, Pinkowski received from Facebook last week. And I'm quoting, your page, Warriors for Christ, has been removed for violating our terms of use. A Facebook page is a distinct presence used solely for business or promotional purposes. Among other things, pages that are hateful, threatening or obscene are not allowed. We also take down pages that that attack an individual or group or that uh, are set up by an unauthorized individual. If your page was removed for any of the above reasons, it will be it will not be reinstated. Continued misuse of Facebook's features could result in the permanent loss of your account. Well, Pinkowski said that they have received death threats because of their ministry's outreach. He said uh, they have uh, been very clear that they do not want to harm anyone. They simply want to preach the truth. Uh, we specifically asked Facebook what exact standards of yours did we violate? Well, people have seen what has happened to us with the death threat and everything else. That's actual hate speech, calling for the death of someone else. I don't care who does it. If you are a Christian or not, that is hate speech, he went on to say, again, seeking some response from Facebook. The Post reported Warriors for Christ started using its old youth ministry page this week after Facebook blocked its main page. However, Life News uh, could not access the youth ministry page either on Tuesday morning. Uh, It's not clear if Facebook removed that page as well. Well, pro-life advocates have become increasingly concerned about the bias and online censorship on widely used social media platforms. In October, Twitter rejected an ad from pro-life Congresswoman Marsha Blackburn because she mentioned Planned Parenthood's sale of aborted baby body parts. Twitter later reversed its decision after Life News and other news outlets reported about the matter. Facebook and Twitter have blocked other pro-life advertisements in the past as well. In September, Life Action, the youth-centered pro-life organization known for its undercover investigations of Planned Parenthood, said Twitter has been censored their ads. Life Action said uh, the founder, Lila Rose, um, on social media site blocked their ability to advertise and told them to change information on their website if they want to start advertising again. Twitter also refused to run an ad from the Susan B. Anthony list in the fall because it contained the phrase killing babies. In 2015, Facebook also refused to allow Live Action News to advertise one of its stories because the image or video thumbnail may shock or evoke a negative response from viewers. The image was of baby Eli Thompson, who was born without a nose. Well, Facebook became the subject of national news in 2016 after some of its workers admitted that they suppressed conservative news stories in favor of liberal ones. And the back and forth continues. Meanwhile, a conservative Christian student group's lawsuit against the University of Iowa is uh, pitting the right to religious beliefs to the institution's policies, barring discrimination based on sexual orientation. Well, the 10-member group called the Business Leaders in Christ, or BLINK, uh, waged a legal challenge last December after the university suspended their activities on campus over the denial of a leadership position to a gay student. The Christian group said anyone who can become a member, but the leaders must affirm a statement of faith that rebukes homosexuality, which is within their rights, according to laws guaranteeing freedom of religion. Well, in the lawsuit, the group says it cannot and will not ask leaders who do not share its beliefs to lead members in prayer or to convey those beliefs. Well, the university prohibits any discrimination based on sex sexual orientation, and accused Blink, the organization, of violating the school's human rights policy and the Iowa Civil Rights Act. 
Well, the group founded in 2015 was meeting weekly for Bible study and focused on service projects and to teach students how to continually keep Christ first in the fast-paced business world. Well, since the loss of license to operate, the group is no longer able to reserve campus meeting space, attend student recruitment fairs, or access funds from student activity fees. The controversy between the... uh, Christian students in the university dates back to last February when a a now former student member of the group filed a complaint to the faculty after being rejected to serve as the group's vice president because of his worldview. And finally, legendary gospel artist Edwin Hawkins has died at 74. He's best known for groundbreaking gospel arrangements, particularly Oh Happy Day. Hawkins' uh, publicist, rather, Bill Carpenter, told the Associated Press the singer died early Monday at his home in Pleasanton, California, after battling pancreatic cancer. Hawkins won four Grammys over the course of his career and is credited with pioneering the contemporary gospel music genre. He blended gospel hymns with a secular sound, and Oh Happy Day was the first gospel song to reach the top 40 charts. It reached the top 10 and also uh, became an international hit in 1969. I remember it well. He and his siblings were part of the popular music group, the Hawkins Family. He and his brother, Walter Hawkins, who died in 2010, were self-taught keyboard players in Oakland, California, uh, who recorded their first record to raise money for their church before Oh Happy Day became a hit, according to the New York Times. Hawkins' last recorded album, Testify, was released in 2008, but he continued to perform and write and produce music for other gospel artists. He last performed in December at the Holiday Soul Concert uh, with San Francisco Symphony with the Oakland Interfaith Gospel Choir, C.C. Winans, and Paula West. Last Thursday, Hawkins' family wrote on social media that he was suffering several health challenges. They continued, We ask that you please send your support, love, well wishes, and prayers of comfort and healing to Edwin and his loved ones at this time. He reportedly died of pancreatic cancer. Edwin Hawkins 74 has gone on to his reward. Well, Thursday on the program, we're looking forward to a conversation with Lynn Wilder. She's the author of Leaving, she's the co-author, I should say, of Leaving Mormonism, Why Four Scholars Changed Their Minds. I'm looking forward to a lively conversation. And then, of course, on Friday, we're going to broadcast live from Mission Connection this year at Rolling Hills Church. And we are looking forward to this opportunity, not only to be on site, uh, but to talk with some of the presenters there, the workshop and um, uh other, um, well, I can't think of the word for some reason, uh, others who will be displaying their ministry at the event, uh, the four keynote speakers and so on. So we're looking forward to that opportunity. And as you probably well know by now, this year differs from previous years in that in previous years, you could walk right up to the uh, the front desk, you could register, sign in. And of course, it's the event is free. It always has been. But you need to register so that the uh, the rooms are, are uh, distributed uh, appropriately for the crowds that are coming and so on. Well, this year, you are required to pre-register online, and I know that late last week they were very close to uh, to being full up. So I would encourage you to go to the website missionconnection.com, and of course that's connection with an X missionconnection.com to register. Again, the event is free. It's sponsored and underwritten by local area churches, and there are dozens of them. Uh, But it it is necessary to have registration because there are so many workshops. Uh, Space is somewhat limited, and the capacity to manage large crowds is always a challenge. So this year, 
in the interest of uh, of managing all of that well, which, by the way, they have always done, uh, you do need to pre-register online. And again, you can go to Mission Connection with an X, Connection com and uh, register for that event. And I should mention that we're going to be broadcasting live on Friday from 4 to 6. Uh, we've done that now for several years. In fact, we may have uh, started when Mission Connection started, if not a year or two um, after the uh, the opening salvo, but we're looking forward to once again uh, having an opportunity to broadcast live from Mission Connection and uh, talk with some of the presenters there. So if you are at Mission Connection, do look us up, come by and say hello. We would love to uh, return the greeting. James Blend will be with us uh, out there as well. Anyway, we're going to be at Mission Connection this Friday. And of course, the event is Friday night and all day Saturday. You can find out more at the web um, at the web address, missionconnection.com. You can register. You can find out um, what, what all is going on and, and how you can be a part of it. So looking forward to seeing many of you on Friday. I want to thank Clark Hilton for engineering today's program, James Blend for producing, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.